Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. You know, when a person joins an organization, um, they are obligating themselves to live and act in accordance with the standards of that organization, of that group. You know, uh, they, a, a person accepts, in essence, by default, the goals, the objectives of, of the group that they are, are connecting to. You know, for example, as citizens of the United States, we are obligated to abide by the laws, the rules, the customs, uh, the standards of, of our country. You know, even when we vote, uh, we're not really voting for a candidate per se. They are the face of a political party. And so we what we are really voting for is the values, the agenda, the policies of the political party that they represent. We are agreeing by default to their agenda. You know, when, when a player joins an athletic team, you know, again, what that player is doing is they are are committing themselves to play under the, the authority and the direction of the coach and uh, under the the rules and the guidelines of whatever particular sport they are participating in. You know, these these are spoken and unspoken guidelines of any group of any society. You know, it's in our human nature to want to be a part of a group. Uh, you, you can tell that by just watching young people um, and how they will conform themselves to dress a certain way or, or look a certain way or, you know, get certain piercings, you know, whatever it is that, that they're trying to connect with, then they will adapt themselves to that, that group. It is a powerful force within us to need to belong. Um, in John chapter nine, for example, we have the story of the man who was born blind and Jesus healed him. And the parents of the man were brought in before the religious leaders and they were demanding to know who had healed their son and their fear was to tell the the religious leaders that it was Jesus that had healed them healed their son because they were concerned that they would be ostracized that they would be kicked out of the the synagogue out of the temple you know it, it, this is this is a very real issue for them in John chapter 12 verse 42 and 43 it says many people did believe in him that being Jesus however including some of the Jewish leaders but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Now, I say all of this as kind of a buildup, because when we look at Ephesians chapter four today, what we are really addressing is kind of an opposite problem. Too often in the church, 
the, the commitment and the responsibility that people feel toward conforming to Christ's likeness is, is actually lacking. You know, too many Christians are, are glad to have the, the promise of salvation where, you know, we want God's blessing. We, we want to, to see all the promises that God offers us through the Bible, but we have too little sense of conforming to Christ or obeying his commands. You know, uh, most often what they say is, well, we're under grace now. And so God understands that, that I really can't live up to a standard. And so I'm not even going to try, you know, and 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 that's that's a wrong attitude to have in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Paul is explaining to the believers our position in Christ. He's explaining all of the privileges, all of the blessings, all of the good that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. But then in the next three chapters, beginning with chapter four, Paul gives our obligations. He, he talks about the responsibilities and the requirements that are on each of us for being a child of God. Now, this is, you know, this is necessary in order to live the life of salvation. Um, you know, God, God has called us to himself and at the same time, he expects us to comply, to, to conform to Christ's likeness. You know, when we become a part of a group, a family, a body of like-minded, then we must conform, we must adapt to the rules and the expectations of that group. Now, when we received Christ as our Savior, we became citizens of the kingdom of God and we became members of the family of God. And so along with all of the blessings and all of the privileges that we get, we need to also understand we have obligations. We have responsibilities now, in Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 1, we see this transition where Paul is going from talking about our position in Christ to our obligation and our commitment and our duty. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 1, it says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, Paul begins by reminding them that a worthy walk has consequences. It, it has a cost to it. Obedience to Jesus Christ is not without suffering. It's not without hardship. You know, Paul, by pointing out that he is in prison, he is reminding them that he's not asking them to do something that he isn't willing to do himself. Paul is in prison because he has been faithfully serving the Lord. 
Notice he says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. I beg you, he says. You know, it, isn't it odd that, that we have to be begged to do what is right, you know, what is best? You know, each of us ought to have a passion to walk with Christ. It, it should be the driving force of our life. <clears throat> he says here, a, a walk worthy of your calling. And, and by walking in a manner worthy of our calling, what Paul is saying is, this is how you should live every day of your life. First Thessalonians 2.12, Paul says again, we plead with you, encourage you and urge you to live your lives in a way that God will consider worthy for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. So why do we live a life that is worthy? Because we've been called by God. Let that sink in for just a minute that we have been called by God. In John 6, it says, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. We need to understand we don't choose God. God puts his hand on us and draws us to himself. He calls us. When we understand this, um, then we should work all the harder to live up to the expectations that God has for us. You know, this, this is a calling that is, that is special, that is, that is uh, you know, beyond our, our belief. He's called the, the calling from God is a high calling. You know, just again, stop and think about it for a moment. The God of the universe reaches down and says, hey, I love you. Come to me. I want a relationship with you. I want a fellowship with you. I want to be in in the center of your life. And when you do that, I will turn your life around. I mean, that's special. That, that's, that's not junk there. I mean, that's really special. You know, um, this is a, a holy calling. Hebrews 3, 1 says, my friends, God has chosen you to be his holy people. 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and chose us to be his holy people. We are God's holy people. Now, your calling is, is holy. It's, it's sacred. It's special. It, it, it's fantastic. And, and when, if we can understand the significance of this, then how do we respond well, Paul tells us in Philippians 3:14, I run toward the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven. This is a prize that God offers because of what Christ Jesus has done. What he's communicating is he is throwing everything he is into the the uh, process of, of seeking after Christ, of making Christ the priority of his life. You and I are, are to commit everything you have. 
That's, that's the least that we can do. The objective to, to living out your life for Christ Jesus is that you are totally in, that there is no room for anything else. You know, the pursuit of Christ is more important than your family. It's more important parents than your children. It's more important than your parents. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your health. It's more important than anything you can think of. Jesus Christ above everything. That's the way we, are, we should approach our lives. Now, if we understand that God, that the God of heaven has, has called us, uh, that he, he has said, I want you to be my special child. I, I'm bringing you into my family and, and I have a, a job for you. I want you to carry out my work, my purpose. There might be a temptation to become kind of arrogant about that, that Hmm, look at me. I'm special. You know, I, I'm the unique snowflake. And, you know, we, we get all all it, the temptations there to get kind of haughty. That's exactly what happened to the Jews. Remember the Jews, they, they got arrogant and all of a sudden everybody else was below them because they saw themselves as God's people. And so if you weren't one of them, boy, you weren't anything. And, and that mentality can creep into us where we look out at people in the world that are struggling and going through hard times and go, oh, those dirty, filthy pagans, you know, oh, I, I'm so glad I don't have to be around them. And, and we can get arrogant and, and kind of self-righteous. And so through the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Paul shows us how we are to live once we understand who we are in Christ, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. This is the way we are to look. Humility should be, no, it shouldn't be. Humility is a foundation of the Christian life. It should be a trademark of each and every believer's life. You know, don't ever forget that our goal is to become more and more and more like Jesus. That's, that's the target. That's what we're trying to accomplish is that I want my life to become more and more and more aligned with Jesus Christ. Well, how did Jesus live? Philippians 2. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When he when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. 
I mentioned a minute ago that humility is a foundational virtue of Christianity. But here's the rub. It is also about as foreign to us as we can possibly get. You know, the world and our sin nature recoil against uh, and, and resist humility at all, all cost. You know, the world and our sin nature loves pride, uh, not humility. You know, and, and unfortunately, too often, the church reflects more of the world than we do of Christ. But in, in, when we do that, when we look more like the world than we do like Christ, what we're doing is we're contradicting the very gospel that we hold on to for our salvation. You know, humility and the world's values are, are 180 degrees opposite of each other. God's work cannot be accomplished by the world's needs. You know, God's call is to humility and his work is to be accomplished only through the work of the Holy Spirit when we are submitted to him in humility. Think about the very first sin. It was born of pride. And every sin since then has been the offspring of pride. Proverbs 11.2 tells us that pride leads the way to destruction. Humility always, always, always produces gentleness. Remember that gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit found over in Galatians 5. Gentleness should be a characteristic of every child of God. It should be who we are. It should be what we are. You know, think about a tamed lion. A tamed lion is still powerful. It is still deadly. It's just under the control of the master. Gentleness is really about self-control. Remember when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and as the soldiers came up, Peter whips out his sword and he's on guard, you know, and he, he's ready to, to go to go to battle for Jesus. And remember what Jesus said to him? Don't you realize, don't, don't you think, Peter, that if I thought it was necessary, I could call on my father, father and he could send more than 12 legions of angels. But there was self-control because Jesus understood what the purpose of, of his life was. He understood what needed to happen. And he had set aside any ego for the purpose of being obedient, even unto death. You know, when we are humble, we're not going to be so concerned about ourselves as we are with doing the will of God. The reason that we put other things in priority over being obedient to Christ is because we're not being humble. We're, we're not submitting ourselves. We're, we're still saying, I'm more important than these other things. When we are humble, it leads to a gentle spirit because we know and we understand that we're under God's protection. We're under God's guidance. It's not about us. 
Now, when we have humility and gentleness, that leads to patience. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making, make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Be patient with each other. Why? I... I hate to break this to some of you. I, I know that this is going to come as a shock, but all of us are messed up. I, I, I know that um, I know that that might might offend some here, but all of us are messed up. And so what right do we have of going around yelling and, and being impatient with other people when we're a mess ourselves? You know, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks, right? Jesus said it this way, get the log out of your own eye before you try pulling splinters out of someone else's eyes. What this all means is, is that we don't, we don't go around haranguing on other people because they're jerks, because we're jerks too. You know, we, we, we all are messed up. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Hear that? Be patient with everyone. Cut people some slack. When someone messes up, don't go after them. Don't don't go. You know, being impatient with people is just being ugly. It, you know, it, all you're doing is showing your sin nature. Let's be patient with each other. Now, in a nutshell, we are to live our lives in service and obedience to God. That that needs to be your life ambition. And a big part of that is realizing that we are blessed beyond description. We have no reason to be proud or arrogant or haughty because if you're talented, God gave you the talent. If you're smart, God gave you the smarts. If you're good looking, God gave you the looks. If you're athletic, God gave you those skills. It, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you feel proud about. It's a gift from God. And so God needs to be the one that's honored, not you. It, it's not about us. Now, verse two says, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Love is another one of the foundations of Christianity, just like gentleness and, and humility. God is love, right? The Bible tells us that. So if God is love, we should be known for our love. Notice that it says that love is the motivation when we're being patient with each other. What that's communicating is that when we stop and understand who God is and, and how much he loves us, then 
we commit ourselves to being obedient and servants to God. And we, we come under the authority and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so as a result, one of the things that is going to come up out of our life because the Holy Spirit is in there is love. And, and that's going to motivate us in how we interact and work with people. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, we don't need to have fake love. The world is full of fake love and, and we don't we just don't need to go there. The only way, though, that you and I can have authentic, godly love and live the life that God wants us to is by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And, and when that happens, we're able to love all people, even our enemies, this is what the Bible calls agape love. It's, it's a perfect love. It's a love that doesn't require something in return. It's the love that God is extending to us. In John 13, 35, it says, This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, when they see the love you have for each other. Agape love is unselfish. It's giving. It's not self-serving love that extends even to people we don't necessarily like. And when we get wounded, we should bleed love. That's, you know, that that's the reality. And that's where it's hard. Because, you know, may I say, and this is my personal opinion, that ninety nine percent of the time, I think most of us are faking it. You know, uh, we're we're you know, we're just winging it and we're pretending that we love. We're pretending that we care. And 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 people see through that. You know, this world is hurting. It's dying. It's in trouble. And it doesn't need us being fakes. It doesn't need us being pretenders, being hypocrites. Hurting people need authentic love. When we're really living in an authentic Christian life, humility, gentleness, patience, love, that's going to be our trademark. That, that's going to be what, what we give off. And those are traits will be who we are. It, you know, it, it, it will define us. Now, verse three says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Notice that it says, make every effort. In other words, this is an all out, all hands on deck, full in commitment. This isn't like, well, I'll try to work it in. It's where you... Wipe the slate clean and you say, these things are non-negotiable. These are the priorities of my life. This is what I am going to resolve to pursue no matter what. And then you fill in the rest of your life around those things. That's the way it works. It is the priority of your life. 
You know, and, and by the way, this isn't some call for denominations to come together in some sort of ecumenical, you know, fuzzy feeling thing where we stand and hold hands and sing kumbaya. That, that's not what this is talking about when it's talking about the binding together in unity and peace. This means that as followers of Christ, we fight hard to be unified. Spiritual unity is not and cannot be created by me, by you, by Park Baptist Church. It is a product of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 12, 13 says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Philippians 2, 2, live in harmony by showing love for each other. Be united in what you think as if you were only one person. This is the expectation. Remember, I started with the fact that when you become a part of a group, you you sign on for the expectations of the group. This is the expectation of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Verse three is telling us work hard at this. This is not some casual thing. This is where you are giving everything. And what is the goal? You're faithfully preserving the unity. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a matter going back to verse one, a manner worthy of God's call on your life. So how do we work hard at it? We live under the control and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And this isn't something that just happens. It takes your commitment. It, you know, when the, the Bible tells us when you seek the Lord, he will be found. But you got to seek him. You got to pursue him. You know, and, and because we're all sinners, it doesn't just happen nice and easy. Peace and unity aren't just going to happen. It's only going to come about through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And that can only happen when we are submitting ourselves to the to the control of the Holy Spirit. Everything, 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 everything that relates to salvation, the church, the kingdom of God is based on the requirement of unity in Christ. And unity is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so bringing it all together, we're to commit ourselves to Christ's service, to, the, to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. Nothing else is as important as that. <clears throat> no one becomes a follower of Christ by accident. You don't fall into salvation. We are called by almighty God. And because of that, we are to be distinguished from all other people. We are to be the way that the world comes in contact with God. Now, the way we're different isn't by our own, our own effort or our own ideas or our own energy. You know, we don't carry around a big, huge honking King James Bible so everyone will know what great Christians we are. We don't dress in some unique way so that people go, oh, okay, I know what group they're part of. We're known because 
of the love that our life demonstrates. We're known because of the gentleness and the humility and the unity that our, our lives produce. And when, when we are under the control of the Holy Spirit, people are going to see us and, and they're going to respond. Some, some will respond positively, but much of the world is going to respond negatively. They're going to react harshly, just like they did to Paul and throw us in prison and whip us and beat us and do things to us. But our job is to be faithful to the calling that God has placed on our lives. We are to work hard at it because we are all part of the same body, the body of Christ, and we are all to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. And this unity, this being bound together in love under the Spirit will produce peace in our midst, something that the world knows nothing about. But when they see us, they will see peace. I beg you, to lead the life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Let's pray. Jesus, you and you alone are worthy of our absolute devotion. You and you alone have the ability to save us. You and you alone can change us from the sinful people that we are to people who are gentle and humble, who love and who are unified. God, that is my prayer. That is my prayer for each and every person in this room. That is my prayer for us as a collective part of your body. Jesus, change us. There are people in this room right now who don't have a personal relationship with you. And I pray for them specifically. I pray that you will turn their hearts and help them to begin to realize how much you love them and what you have done for them and that you and you alone can change them. Have them become tired of their sin, tired of their, their brokenness and bring them Lord to you, bring them to the foot of the cross so that they are able to say, I want Jesus. I am willing to forsake everything for the prize of Jesus. Help us father. Sometimes we can't get out of our own way. And I just ask and pray that you help us to live the life worthy of your calling. And I pray all of this so that you will be glorified. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.